Welcome back to the Shema Podcast, my friends. I want to talk to you today about why we pray. I still find this sitter very confusing. As soon as I start to get a flow for what's happening next, there's something else that takes place in the year that causes things to get changed up. So I want to talk about why we pray and then lead up to why we follow the structured prayers in our sitter. But first, I want to knock out something that I used to think, and I've talked to many people who think the same thing today, and that is what seems like a contradiction. Back when I was an atheist, I would always think like people believe that there is this all-powerful guy that created everything, and yet simultaneously, he has some insecurity complex and requires all of us to praise him day in and day out. That didn't make any sense. I can quickly address what seems like a contradiction, and that is the Almighty has no needs. The purpose of prayer is solely for us. I like to always start with the macro picture and then fit the pieces of toward Judaism into that bigger picture, that bigger scheme. The reason God created the world was to bestow goodness, or another term that I've heard used is to bestow pleasure. And I like the latter, although it needs clarification. A lot of people equate the word pleasure with low-level pleasure, but that's not the type of pleasure that God intended for us. That is the illusionary pleasure. The, The way we know something is an illusionary pleasure is if you consume too much of it, it has diminishing returns and eventually makes you absolutely sick of it. Now, I like a good steak, But if I finish my steak and the waiter brings out another one and says, I know you get so much pleasure from steak, here, eat this one as well, the thought of eating another bite would make me absolutely sick to my stomach. That is low-level pleasure, illusionary pleasure. The type of pleasure that God has intended for us, the ultimate pleasure is himself. So why did he create this world in order to bestow this pleasure? Well, one of the reasons is because in this world, as our shamas are connected to this physical body, in this world, we have needs. And while we find food pleasurable at the same time, we are dependent on him for food. So those needs that require us to connect to our creator by requesting that he provide us all of those needs. But it gets deeper than that. Because really the way we connect to our creator is to mirror ourselves in the way in which he interacts with us. And the way he interacts with us is through giving. And so the way we mirror him and come close to him is by giving in a similar fashion. So this whole idea of prayer is to connect ourselves to the source of everything and request that he provide us for all our needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, all the needs that we have, we turn to him and request that he bring those blessings to us and then in turn provide those blessings and give what we receive to others. And that is what creates this likeness, this similarity that allows us to mirror and connect with the Almighty. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to connect with the Almighty in such a powerful way. 
because he had nullified his ego, his sense of self, and became just a pure conduit from the blessings of the Almighty to the Jewish people. When you read Bereshis, and it talks about how Hashem had not sent rain upon the earth because there was no man to work the soil and no one to recognize the utility of rain. He waited for Adam, who would recognize the importance for the world, and he would be required to pray for the rain. God created this world to provide all of our needs. But what the Torah is telling us, it is up to us to pray. And that is our spiritual responsibility to bring into this world through prayer, through request, what we need. And that is a fundamental element, again, of why God created the world in order we would have mechanisms to recognize him and connect to him, which is the source of all goodness and all true pleasure. Let's fast forward to the the sitter. The world was created with 2,000 years of chaos, 2,000 years of Torah, and 2,000 years of Mashiach. And at the closing of the 2,000 years of Torah, the men of the Great Assembly knew that era was ending. Prophecy was coming to an end. And as we move into the 2,000 years of Mashiach, that there would be more distance and darkness and concealment of God in this world. And that's exactly what has taken place. As the light of Torah hit that crescendo at Mount Sinai, it has continued to dim ever since. And meanwhile, God has allowed for scientific discovery and the advancement of technology, which has created the ability for mankind to continue to ignore the creator in this world. The more mankind has been given understanding of the physical world, the sciences, physics, anatomy, technology, All those things have created an opportunity for man to say there is no creator. We are the creator. We are the ones that discovered all these things. And so the men of the Great Assembly wanted to prep us. They knew what was coming. So they structured our sitter, a sequence of prayers that they knew would equip us for our mission as the world became more and more dark as Hashem's presence became more and more concealed in order to get us through the finish line of that error that God willing is happening soon when Mashiach comes and God once again reveals himself, but not at Mount Sinai for just the Jewish people, but for the entire world. So when you look at the structure of the prayers, they are all a building block. They're all first a recognition of our creator and they build up. When I first became religious, I first had that recognition that there is a creator and why he created this world. I was not familiar with the sitter, but what I did recognize is that he could hear everything I was saying. And I was so amazed. I just began to talk to him nonstop. And as my learning advanced and I learned about the sitter and the structured prayers, I found the formality of it to be not as pleasing to me. I mean, here I was waking up in the morning, having this conversation with the Almighty. I would talk to him about my day, what I need help with. And it's like I'm having this constant conversation with the Creator, but then I have to stop and say, oh, now I have to go have this formal dialogue and read these prayers that someone else wrote. You know, when I read the, the Tehillim that King David wrote, so poetic and so beautiful, it sort of reminds me of when I would go get an anniversary card for my wife. 
And I would go to the card section at the store and read through all the Hallmark cards and say, oh, wow, that's nice. I like what he said. So I would get the card and write in the card, just like this guy said, love Dan. And my wife would say, you know, I liked it back when we first got married and you would write your own letters to me, really expressing yourself how you feel. And sometimes that's how I feel when I'm reading the Psalms, like I'm saying, like he said, Hashem, like King David, I can't say it that well, but is it genuine? Apparently so. Apparently that is what he wants. And the men of the great assembly knew that. They knew those words of King David and those other verses that we needed those to get in that same state that they were in when they wrote those words. And of course, many of the prayers come directly from the Torah itself. And one of the things I recognized when I was reading the Shimon Esrei is that in those personal prayers I was having, I wasn't praying for any of you. I was just focusing on my own needs. So I became very grateful that we have the sitter so I would have enough sense to know that my true way of connecting to the Almighty is not just asking for my needs to be met, but yet praying for all of your needs to be met as well. But even though I contemplate this a lot, and I conceptually understand the purpose of the sitter and the fact that it's the, the structure of the prayers is changing throughout the year for different holidays and events that are happening in our calendar, that they're changing in order to allow us to be in that state, to tap in to the energy that he is providing to us at that moment that is constantly allowing us to focus in different areas of our life and grow as Jews and grow in our connection to the Almighty. But I know as time goes on, I'll learn the sitter better and connect to the Almighty even in a greater way by following these prayers so perfectly laid out to connect me in that moment of time with the Almighty, bring down blessings for myself in a greater connection and bring down blessings for the Jewish people in the world at large. So I'm bringing someone on new today, Rabbi Jacknan, someone I just met recently, but he's just one of those, those guys, those rabbis. After you talk to him a few times, he just, it feels like He's one of those guys you've known your entire life. So I've asked him to join us and teach us about the sitter and the reason for these prayers so we can have a much greater connection to the prayers and a much greater connection to our Creator. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Rabbi Jackman, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on to share with us some insights and help us understand better the, the sitter and how we can use it in our service of Hashem. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Beautiful. So since you're, you're new to the show, I wanted to get you, if you wouldn't mind, sharing with the audience a little bit about yourself and your background and where you are now and what, what got you to that, that particular place. Sure. So basically, I grew up, I was born in Long Island, Port Jefferson, until I was about seven years old. We grew up in a traditional home or family, for the most part, kept Shabbos and certainly the holidays. And my extended family was also Orthodox. But we weren't quite 
your typical Orthodox Jew. It's more like conservadox. And then we moved to Queens. My, my father wanted to be closer to his work in Kew Garden Hills. At that point, they put us into a yeshiva Torah day school with more modern Orthodox children. And it was a transition for my brother and I because, first of all, we kind of had our friends in, in Long Island, right. more secular friends, Jewish, non-Jewish. But at the time in New York, it was kind of a rough crowd. And I was a decent, nice fellow, I think a nice young boy, and it was quite an adjustment. And I also felt, to be honest with you, that a lot of the boys didn't have the best character. And at some point, by seventh grade, I wanted out of this yeshiva. I wanted out. It was like uh, really finding it challenging. And I told my parents, I just want to go to public school. I went to public high school and right away fit, fit right in. I had, had friends was athletic. I went, I was part of the tennis team, the track team, actually became captain of the tennis and track team. And, but I didn't throw away my Judaism. I just basically didn't really connect to that crowd that I wasn't previously. And then I went ahead to Binghamton University, where I was a marketing major, an accounting major. And I got involved with the Chabad and the Hillel House. And my brother, at the same time, my older brother, he was also coming, he had a similar situation, but he was coming back to his Judaism. He went to yeshiva, met some wonderful rabbis, would invite me to spend the Shabbos with him in Brooklyn. He went to yeshiva Chaim Berlin, was very close to Rabbi Victor Miller and Rabbi, Rabbi Max from Chaim Berlin. And I really had a wonderful time spending Shabbos with him, seeing a whole other side of Judaism, very orthodox, yeshivish type of Jews, warm, friendly. And back in, in, in Binghamton University, again, I was involved with the Chabad. And at that point, after college, I felt that my brother also convinced me that I should spend some time in Israel. And I had a friend who had also spent the summer in Eishat Torah in Binghamton University and told me all about Eishat Torah. I felt, again, I did have somewhat of, somewhat of a background, so I felt it sounded like Eishat Torah was a little bit on the lighter side of what I was looking for. But in the end of the day, that's where I went. And from just one month in Israel turned into eight months, turned into eventually two years, and eventually ten years. And what really happened in Israel was, besides being in Torah, being close to the rabbis there, being across the Western Wall, is I had an awakening. And my awakening was, I kind of threw away Judaism because, for the wrong reasons. And I realized that, don't judge Judaism by the Jews. Unfortunately, there's a lot of not such nice Jews out there. There's not such nice non-Jews out there. But there are also some wonderful Jews. But Torah and Hashem are perfect. And when I met the right rabbis who are kind and caring, I was more open to learn more about Judaism. And that turned me back on in a major way. And so much so that I really fell in love with Judaism. I learned so much Torah. I realized the more you learn Torah, the more you realize you don't know anything. And... The more, I realized, the more I learned, the more I realized I want to share this. And I felt that my experience of not being in love with Judaism and was something that I could help others with because I felt just starting by being a nice person right. who's an observant Jew who can share how wonderful Judaism is. And so many people might be turned off for whatever reason they're turned off. Maybe they're turned off from other Jews that rubbed them the wrong way. Maybe they're turned off because they don't know enough Judaism. But if you can combine that the being a nice person with sharing the beauty of Judaism, you can go a long way. And just one final thing, 
is like I always felt like whenever you find it, when you whenever you eat a new product, you like potato chips. Oh my gosh, you try a new flavor. This is delicious. What do you do? Is you got to Joe? You got to try this. Come, try a piece. You got to taste this, right? And that's how I felt about Judaism. I feel there's so many people, you don't know what you're missing. You got to try this. Try this. And they people think, oh, sure, I know what it tastes like. No, you don't. You right. don't know what it tastes like. Come and sit and learn. And again, it took me 10 years. I mean, it took me, certainly I was turned on by two months. But the more you spend real serious time learning, the more you, you fall in love with Judaism and realize this is amazing. But it has to be with the right people too. I agree. And I think that that past experience is what has aided you, I'm sure, quite a bit in, in connecting with other Jews. All right. So you heard my intro, sort of talk, general overview. I sort of get the big picture. I, I see, I sort of know, like, this is so powerful. There's, it's changing throughout the year because there's different prayers that align with different energies throughout the, the, the course of the year and different holidays. But when it comes down to the practical application, all I'm doing is scrambling to keep up with everyone and it causes me to lose a lot of the connection you know when we get to taco noon i see everyone immediately drop down put their head down and i was like oh yeah i know exactly what this is so i go to the area of the sitter i was like oh that's we don't start here today we start over here and i find the space and i put my reading glasses on so i can see when the book's covered right and i lay my head down it's like oh i know this one this is amazing and everyone's standing back up like wait up for me you know so i see it slowly starting to pick up and i and i want that connection not only to hashem but i want that connection with my fellow jews as we're going through this sort of journey together i wanted to see if you could add anything to the macro picture and then sort of talk about the components of the sitter the roles they play and then sort of go into how they sort of change throughout the year like sometimes we don't do like today we did not do tachanun and, and, and sort of educate us so if we, we know how to navigate it. Those of us who are new to Torah Judaism, we know how to navigate this technology in a much more productive way. Absolutely. So there's a principle in Judaism called kol haschalos kashos. All beginnings are difficult. And certainly, you know, we run the Bella Jewish Center, started the Bella Jewish Center about 12 years ago. And one of our programs is we have a Sunday morning minion. We try to make it friendly, introductory, we announce pages. We used to even make it more uh, friendly or beginner useful with uh, more singing, more page announcements, but depends on the crowd. But what I found is that certainly the beginning is difficult. person comes into the synagogue for the first time, they're praying in Hebrew, and they don't know Hebrew. Not easy to follow. What do you do? And But you'll you'll see that the more you get used to, with anything in life, you know, working out, going to the gym, gosh, this is difficult, I don't like jogging, or I don't working out, or pumping iron, it's, but the more you do it, the more you get used to the pattern, the routine, the more you get familiar, and it becomes easier. Right. And I've seen people who who get the drill, especially when it's consistent time, you know, you start at the, the, right, the same time, you pretty much finish at the same time, you know the pace, so... So that's the first step, is just to understand that when you come into new, new situations, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be challenging, and to recognize that, and to say, okay, you know what, I know if I keep at this, it's going to get a little easier for me. So it definitely starts with recognizing that it's going to be difficult in the beginning. But 
The other, as- the other aspect we need to recognize is that we have to do our work. If you want to get anything in life, you got to work at it. Forgetting his name, not Tony Robbins, but Tony Robbins has a mentor also. And his mentor said that discipline is the key to happiness. Small disciplines. So if a person says, I want to get more out of prayer, so study prayer. You got to study prayer. There's so many books on prayer. There's classes on prayer. You can go through the different um, prayer book and different sections of the prayer and to understand more. There's commentary in a lot of the prayer books to read them. And of course, to try to understand Hebrew, which is uh, already challenging in itself, but as one of my rabbis, Robert Klein, said, if, if God spoke Chinese, you wouldn't try to learn Chinese. Oh, da, da, da. You know, like, I want to understand what he's saying, right? So if the language of Hebrew is so powerful that it's a way to connect to Hashem, so we obviously want to try to learn Hebrew and read Hebrew and understand Hebrew. But of course, God does understand all languages. You can pray in English, certainly in the beginning. But that should be a, 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 a role, a goal to try to pray in the Hebrew and to follow along. The other thing I'd like to say is that you have to also find, unfortunately, sometimes in smaller communities, you're limited on where you can pray. There's not so many shuls. There's not so many synagogues. But sometimes you'll find, if you go to Israel, you go to New York, you, you go shul hopping, and suddenly you say, oh my gosh, I love this shul. They go at my pace. They're going a little slower. This is perfect. I remember... I happen to take a very long time in the silent meeting. I take a long time, and I even feel guilty, certainly at Bella Jewish Center, oh, I better hurry up, I don't want to keep people waiting. There's a real laws about not supposed to keep people waiting. But there are certain shuls, they take a long time. And if you connect to longer prayer, that's wonderful. You go to a shul, wow, I was able to say the entire section of prayer called Pesuket Zimra, and I didn't have to rush. I took my time. It's a wonderful thing. There are shuls out there that you'll find are really your pace. Um, Rabbi Buchwald recently mentioned how he took a trip to Milwaukee. In the Young Israel, the average pace for Pesuket Zimra is about 12 minutes, one of the sections of prayer called Pesuket Zimra. He said in Milwaukee, it's 20 minutes. That's a big difference. Now, if you go jogging, you'll know that if you finish and eight minutes later, another guy comes in, that's a long time. So that's a long time to be able to say extra prayers, take your time, have intention while you're praying. So studying the prayer, going to a synagogue that hopefully is your pace if you can. If not, there, there are the halachas of coming early to prayer. You're not supposed to just come to shul on time. I always tell my kids, if I come to synagogue on time, I'm late. Because I like coming to synagogue early, settling in. There's another thing. Prayer is not easy. You know, the big pillars, the three pillars of Judaism are prayer, acts of kindness, and Torah. Now, I once heard that Torah is easy. People like learning Torah because in a sense, God is talking to you. But when you pray, you're talking to God and that's not so exciting for many people. But I happen to connect the prayer. I like praying. I love the singing. There's something about prayer that I happen to connect to. I, I want to say that I think many Jews, Orthodox and not, do find prayer difficult, uh, monotonous. And that's why sometimes it is quick in many synagogues or or God forbid, the feeling of just quickly get it over with is one of my obligations I have to do, get it over with. But that's not the ideal. I found talking to people, too, that what came naturally to me was just personal prayer. And then learning the sitter and connecting with the words in the sitter has, has been more challenging. But I've talked to other people who said they have just the actual opposite experience. We're just talking to Hashem 
is challenging. One of the things I remember reading several years ago from Rabbi Nachman that is that whatever part of our Judaism that's the most challenging, that's the one to focus on because that's where you're going to have the biggest connection. Absolutely. And yes, you're 100% right that wherever we are, you're, from the moment we wake up in the morning to the day we, the moment we go to sleep at night, we should be praying, we should be talking to Hashem, you know, about everything. You know, you're in the car, okay, you're listening to Torah, but also talk to Hashem. Ask Hashem that you should be successful in your business meeting. Ask Hashem that when I lead the service, I say, please, Hashem, help me inspire the group, especially if it's on Shabbos. Let me say the words correctly and not stumble over the words. Let me have proper intention. Pray that your prayer should be good. We actually say that even in the opening of the Santa Mita, right? Hashem, open my lips and my mouth should speak clearly. So... We always want to pray that we're even praying properly. But yes, wherever you are, you pray. But certainly in the synagogue, in the set times of prayer, you know, the, our rabbis who put together our prayer book really have powerful messages that, as we mentioned before, if, if we study them, we can connect a little more. And of course, baby steps is where it's at. You know, you can't, you come in, as we mentioned before, all beginnings are difficult. You can't just say, I'm going to come to pray and understand everything. That's not realistic. What's realistic is to say, you know what? I want to more to connect more to the prayer that we do in synagogue. And therefore, let me try to take one line, one paragraph at a time, and let me try to study that and make that my intention for today, if that's important. And that doesn't, take, doesn't have to take too much time. You can take five, ten minutes and say, you know, I want to understand the prayer on asking God for wisdom in the Sound Amido. Why wisdom? What does that mean? There's different types of wisdom. What, what's actually going on over here? Let me study that. Let me study the footnotes. Let me study. There's a book. Rabbi Schwab has a book on prayer. Let me ask my rabbi. Let me search Google. There's a class on that section or whatever it is. And slowly, slowly, just like we build our, our muscles over time or we lose weight over time, it doesn't happen overnight. So too, we build our spiritual muscles by, wow, how do you have intention for the entire prayer book? took me time, you know, I did a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, just like Dafyomi, just like anything in life, but you have to have the commitment and that desire to say, I want to connect to my prayer more, and therefore this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to take two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, to study a little bit more, And but as far as personal prayers, wherever you are, 24-7, 1-800-Almighty, just talk, <laughs> talk to Hashem wherever He is. It's interesting, one of the things we do at the Belly Jewish Center is we do what's called halacha day, one Jewish law a day. And a lot of the laws talk about prayer. And so sometimes you just have to know what to do. People, including myself, we learn halachas, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, now I know. As you mentioned earlier, when, when do we say certain things, when do we not say certain things, as we mentioned today, is tu bishvat, the holiday celebrating the birthday of trees, and we don't say tachanun, one of the parts of prayer where we fall down on our non-tefillin arm during the morning and the afternoon as well. So certain halachas you have to know. When we say baruch shemo, when we say amen, maybe you're in part of prayer where you're not supposed to answer. There are certain parts of prayer that no matter where you are in prayer, you should answer. And uh, so definitely Hashem understands that you know, we're all growing and, and you know, doing the best we can. But also, as you, you know, the more you learn, the more you know. And it's a beautiful thing. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Now I know that. Okay, great. And sometimes people are kind enough to, to tell you. Sometimes 
It's not always so pleasant. You're doing something wrong. Put your, your, your tefillins on, the, on your ear. Or your, you know, I've, I've had people in Bella Jews send their you know, tefillins on the back of their uh, neck. I'm like, okay, oh, this isn't supposed to be uh, above the forehead, you know. But um, all sorts of interesting things we see. But you just fret, you know, gently with compassion, explaining to them how the, the proper thing to do. And people are usually very accepting. And uh, yeah, so it's a growing experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, in the business world, we have this idea that you're always taking on challenges. So sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it. And I think the same applies to our, our, our Judaism. And, you know, at the end of our lives, when we're staying before the heavily best in, what really is going to be more important to us? How, our, how we pushed ourselves to excel in business when Hashem was controlling our income to begin with? Or whether we were, how we pushed ourselves to learn how to daven or whatever it may be in our in our Judaism. Absolutely. And it's a level because some people aren't even at the level to ask. But the more you grow in your Judaism, the, the more you come to the place of Ein Baishin Lamed, that an embarrassed person can't learn. So you have to be able to say, hey, Rabbi, am I doing this right? Um, what am I supposed to do when I'm up to here in the prayer, but they're up to here? Do I skip ahead? Do I stay at my own pace? To be able to ask those questions when you get there. Some people aren't there yet. We're happy they're coming to synagogue and putting on tefillin or showing up for them. For some people, for many people, it's hard enough just to even show up the prayer, let alone keep up with the prayer. But that's also one of the things that you know we stand for at the Bella Jewish Center is that I always ask myself, if someone came from off the streets and he had no idea how to read Hebrew, it's his first time coming to an Orthodox synagogue, I want him to have a positive experience. I want him to come in and say, I don't know what's flying over here, but people are happy, people are singing, people are smiling. It looks like they're talking to God. I want what they have. And that's, that's definitely one of our goals. And I feel, unfortunately, many shuls don't have that feeling doesn't look like people are walking around, including myself. We all have the eight stars mentioned, like pacing around, checking their phone. And that's that's not what prayer is supposed to look like. Prayer is supposed to look like you're actually, as you've said, fake it to make it. You're actually trying to pray to the Almighty, even though our mind might be elsewhere. But we're trying, and it starts with that. I mean, it's actually um, at the young Israel, they have a place to put your phone. You definitely want to get rid of any distractions so you can do the best you can. You know, I always tell my kids: imagine you go to a Super Bowl. Unbelievable. You spent all the money to go to the Super Bowl, but you're like, after about 10 minutes, you're like, okay, let's go. What, what do you mean? It didn't even start. Wait, there's a there's a four quarters. There's a halftime show. Like, hello. You know, they, 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 they'd scream at me. So, so too with prayer. Like, get the full experience. You want the full experience of prayer? Of prayer? Then come a little early. There's laws about this. You're supposed to come early. You're supposed to clear your head. You're not supposed to rush out of, out of shul. After the end of prayer, you're not supposed to leave, walk, Quickly, where are you running to? Don't you want to be in the place of God? Spend a couple extra minutes, right? So get the full experience, and uh, it's better than the Super Bowl. One of the things that's so challenging, especially with the Gitzaraj, you're like keeping your mind focused. Because during the week, I'm thinking about business, what I, when my first call is, am I ready for it? What other projects do I have? What other calls I have? So when I'm when I'm driving to Shul or walking over, walking to Shul around the corner. I'm, one of the things I'm telling myself now is that really this is the most important thing that's going to happen to you all day. Like everything that happens in your business experience 
is all pivoting on this very moment. Whether you have the creativity to quickly you know, produce something, the outcome of any business encounter is going to be determined based off my connection and my amuna that I'm going to get right now. So my entire business day is about to be wrapped up in the next you know, 45 minutes. So make this count. The rest is fluff. And when I do have the recollection to say that to myself and think that, it does help me focus a lot more and keeps those distracting thoughts out of my head. Absolutely. And going back to the actual prayer, we talked about how really there's only, we pray three times a day in synagogue, we're supposed to, the Shacharis Minchamarav, morning, afternoon, and night. And yes, there is a prayer service that we follow. And the Kuzari said a beautiful thing that whether you're in, in touch with your soul or not, but just like your body needs breakfast, you eat breakfast. You're satisfied for a while. Then a couple hours later, you're hungry. You need lunch. That's lunch. Then you're good for a while. Then dinner. So too the soul needs prayer. There's the morning. It fulfills its obligation. It feels connected. Afternoon, nighttime. But a lot of people don't realize that prayer isn't even such a timely commitment because the average morning service can go, as you mentioned, between 45 minutes and an hour at most. The afternoon service usually 15 minutes, evening service, 15 minutes. So at most, you're looking at an hour and a half on the average day. And often they even do the afternoon and evening close together for convenience reasons, so people don't have to go out to their homes twice. So that can be 25, 30 minutes. So if you say to yourself, wow, an hour and a half a day, that's all I need to do to commit to Hashem. The rest of the day, as you mentioned, of course, you learn Torah, go to work. But like, Make it count. Make that that time count. It's so important. And I also want to say that although my personal connection to prayer is on a slower pace, I also recognize that people are different. Some people do connect a little faster. It's not not my place to judge unfavorably. Oh, you're diving too fast. Clearly, you're praying too fast. Clearly, you have no intention. That's not true. Some, Some person might actually be connecting more. There's an argument to say that the Yetzirah, the inclination, has less time to get distracted when you go right. fast. And also that you are, the, the Pirkei says, you are supposed to have something new to your prayer every day. Like, even though you're saying the same prayer that our rabbi has designed for us, you are supposed to have something new. Hey, what's today? What's unique about today? Uh, oh, you know, we're going to the doctor today. Please, Hashem, let, let it be. Everything should be fine and you know, good. Whatever. One small new thing every single day is very important. And there's also laws, though, regarding taking too much time in prayer. There is such a thing called Tirchet Sibor, where you don't want to stretch out prayer unnecessarily because our rabbis understand the importance of people have to go to work. And therefore, you, it's, not, it's not appropriate to delay prayer too long. So there is a limit. So on the one hand, we want to maximize our time in prayer. On the other hand... You know, we don't want to overdo the time because that's not appropriate for most for many people who need to rush to work and be at work on time at a certain. And uh, there's real laws of for the especially the person leading the service. They're not supposed to stretch it out too long. Now in Shabbos, that's different because we're not in a rush in Shabbos. But again, a person really should try to find that synagogue that really fits their needs the most. And if not, then he has to make his personal adjustments by if he. It's just a joke, but there's someone who used to come to our 9 o'clock minion on Sunday morning, Bella Jew Center, and say, Rabbi, I finally figured out how to make your service go faster, because he didn't like how we went slow. So I said, how? He goes, I'll come late. 
So that was his joke. <laughs> so you have to know most for, for me, most of the synagogues, I have to I have to show up early. I have to show up early, wrap my tefillin, take my time, start a little early, saying the verses of prayer, the Pesuk de Zimmer prayer, so I can be up to date with the Yishtabach and the Baruch and the Shema and the Shemun Esrei. For other people, I'm not suggesting they, they show up late. God forbid. But, you know, for some people who may have more challenging with prayer or like it faster pace, so fine. Maybe they'll be a little bit, again, they should. everyone should be a little bit early so to meditate, but... Okay, they'll go to the faster minion. They'll, they'll choose the minion that's a little faster for them. For them, maybe that they connect more to Hashem that way. So, we respect all people, but you definitely have to be true to yourself. Amazing. Thank you for listening to part one of connecting with our source with Rabbi Jacknan. Stay tuned for the upcoming release of part two. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.